Um, you can turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 2. Um, I, we last week asked for the congregation to pray for our elders and staff because uh, on Monday we were going to spend the day fasting and then get together and break our fast together and really talk about where our church is going um, you know, in the short, medium, and long term. It was a great time. I really want to thank you for joining us in, in prayer. It's finished. We figured everything out. So good job. Uh, no, it really felt like the beginning of a conversation in a lot of ways. Um, but it was, uh, we, we were together for four and a half hours, and I had to cut us off. I felt like probably could have kept going, or is it three and a half? bad at math. Uh, we'll, we were there for a long time, and we really felt like we could have been there together in a good way, uh, so we could continually use your prayers uh, as, as we meet together and, and lead together. All right, we're in a series on the, the letters to the Thessalonians. This is our second week, and uh, we'll, we'll cover most of chapter two today. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we'd already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers." For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> we thank you that this, these really are the very words of God and not of men. And so, Father, I pray that you would help me to speak those words, the words that come from you. And I pray that our hearts would be open to receive those words. God, we ask that the affections of our hearts would be aimed at you and that even now you would draw us more deeply to love you 
and to follow you wherever you send us. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this is a letter from Paul and his compatriots, Timothy and Silvanus, or Silas, as we probably know of him, uh, to this church that they love, that they've left behind and are sort of checking on. And uh, after the introduction, which we uh, covered last week, Paul really gets into the, what he wants to say. And as is the case uh, in many letters that Paul writes, Paul has to kind of justify himself and what he's done to sort of defend their ministry after the fact, after they've left. Um, he does this in a number of letters. You can see it in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We don't know quite what the objection is to who they are and, and what they've done. Um, but we know that Paul is going to tell us on a number of fronts that their motivation and what they do is, is good and true and, and reliable. And he names uh, three specific kind of areas where they might distrust him. Uh, and, and he wants to push back and say that neither of these things are true. We're, we're innocent on all charges here. So he, he makes it clear that they've come, one, to teach the truth. They're not coming to teach something else. They're not coming to, to trick anybody or to deceive anyone. They're there to, they've been there to teach the truth. And that's their motivation. And not only are they to teach the truth and content, the way that they teach the truth is also truth-based. They are not coming to flatter people. So they're going to come tell the truth about God, and they're going to tell the truth about the people who are listening, and they're not going to try to like manipulate them into accepting what they believe because they're, they're coming in a spirit of truth. But they're also there uh, not to have any sort of gain for themselves on two fronts. One, they are not there to make money. And this is something that they have to defend because in this culture, in this place and time, people go around on speaking tours as their profession. And the apostles are there making it clear, we did not come to you to gain a profit. We did not come after your person. In fact, we worked really hard day and night so that it was clear that we did not come to gain financially from what we've done. Not only did they come to gain money, but they also didn't come to gain glory. They didn't come for their own personal reputation. They didn't come hoping that they would be famous in Thessalonica and that they would have all these admirers and the people who love them, the adoring fans. That's not what Paul and his compatriots are after. So everywhere along these three fronts, he's pushing back and saying, we did not come for ourselves. We are not here for us. And you know that. You've experienced it. Paul is then going to defend and explain what they've done how they've done, why they've done it. And us here today as listeners, as the people of Valley Hope, we need to pay careful attention to what Paul is saying drove and marked their ministry among these Thessalonian people. Because what we want to look at and pay special attention to together is the life that God calls us to following in the apostles' footsteps, to, to take up this same task as ones who have received from the apostles' ministry down to the ages. 
Because the task that these men have been called to and have executed in their own life is the task that carries on and on and on and on. All people who bear the name of Jesus, who've been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, have in some sense been called to replicate a piece of what they have done. When Jesus speaks to his his compatriots at the end of the Gospels and the Great Commission and, and sends them to the ends of the world, he commissions them to go and, and repeat and pass on the teachings that he has given them, baptize other people, show them how to obey Jesus. And what we believe is when we read the Great Commission, that wasn't just Jesus talking to one group of people there present at that day, but that everybody who takes up and reads the scriptures and hears those words has also been called whole life in some sense. And then he says, we, we were like fathers among you. After they've come into the faith, we, we were like fathers who exhorted and encouraged you and, and insisted, he says, that you walk in the way that Jesus calls. So he uses, he, he creates this sort of family imagery all, all of the social resources of the family to describe to them the full picture of what the apostles have been called to towards them. We come to you in vulnerability. We come to you in sacrifice. The sacrifice, who better uh, models sacrifice than a mother who gives up her own body for the health and well-being of their child? We offer ourselves in consistency and faithfulness like a good father does to see you grow up into who you're meant to be. What we are called to as a people is a kind of costly offering of our whole lives because we so deeply love and care about our neighbors, about our friends. And I think that we have to hear this imagery as Paul's response to the suspicions of the Thessalonians and realize that we have to have a similar response to the people who we love and care about because they have very similar suspicions. Now, they may not suspect you of coming on a speaking tour and trying to win their money, but they might think that if you try to get them here that I might be, They, uh, plenty of people believe that a lot of the church's practices and, and beliefs and aims is, is really about leverage and manipulation to get them to part with a lot of things, including their money. And for many of them, they have pretty good reason to believe that because it's happened many times, still does, if you turn to the right channel on your television, if you still have one with channels. People are still suspicious of this. People are still suspicious that you will use words and emotional manipulation and flattery to foist on them this thing that they do not wish to accept. People still believe that many people in the church are coming to them to knock on their door 
to hand them a tract, whatever, to tell them the gospel in the context of a relationship, mostly so that you can feel better about yourself for your own glory, so that they can be a kind of notch on the wall for you. And what we have to confess is it's not an illegitimate fear. One, we've probably all seen those sort of arrays of terrible motivations in play in others. And two, we probably have felt those motivations in some form sneak into our own heart under the guise of well-cloaked language, religious language. I'm not here to stand up and ask you or compel you by flattery and the force of guilt to do more, do more, do more, or you be ashamed. Because, see, I can do what they're afraid of right now. And you have this kind of internal resistance, many of you, to me standing up here and talking about this very thing because you are afraid of the same thing your neighbors are. That I'm going to use flattery and manipulation to guilt you into doing more things. So see, you understand your neighbors. And their fears are likely to some degree yours. But Paul describes a ministry rooted in love. It's outward facing and costly and sacrificial. Not because Paul is weighted down by the burdens of guilt and shame. Not because he needs more notches in his belt. But because he loves them. He loves them. And he demonstrates it with his own life. Now, he also says that they received this miraculously amidst incredible opposition. The Thessalonian people have been opposed by people in their own community, which Paul deeply identifies with and says, look, everybody's experiencing this. The the church in Judea is under persecution. It's the most persecuted church at this time in the New Testament's writing. Paul will collect money to take to the church in Judea because they're suffering. And he's telling them, like, you're suffering in your community. They're suffering in their community. You can read this and it feels like, man, this is really harsh on the Jews. This almost feels like, makes you uncomfortable, like, is Paul kind of like anti-Semitic? Like, what's his deal with the Jews here? And unfortunately, people have used some of this language for those purposes. If you listen to Paul and the rest of what he writes, well, for one, he's a Jew and he's happy about it. He's, he's grateful for it. And if you read Romans 11, you can't really fit that sort of narrative into what Paul thinks. He's talking about enemies of God wherever they may be found, Jew or Gentile. And you probably have the same fear that Christians have felt to varying degrees throughout time. What about when people oppose? Now, we live in a place 
where opposition probably feels a lot more comfortable than it did for Paul. Paul ended up in jail. None of you are going to jail. Well, I mean, I trust. The opposition that you would face, maybe a besmirching of your you know, reputation, maybe loss of a friendship, and that's it. But it's real opposition. And Paul's argument to them is relevant for us. It is the Lord who is in charge of your defense. It is the Lord who is in charge of wrath. Remember, we talked about wrath last week. Wrath is not God losing his temper. Wrath is God's settled commitment to deal justly with evil. And the Lord will defend you in taking account to any evil done to you. So does Paul invite the Thessalonians to an active and vigorous self-defense? He does not. He offers to them a life of trust, trusting that God himself will one day make accounts right. It's tempting to take up power, to use resources at our means to act in our own defense. But Paul doesn't make that argument here or anywhere with his life. And the reason why, if you go back and read all the way through this passage again, threaded through this entire passage that we've read, is a conviction that this whole work is ultimately from God. I went back and I had this printed out, and so I was going back through the text and, and putting just a star next to every time Paul said that something was from God or of God or to God. And in these 16 verses, um, I was being stingy and, and got to only 11. If you go back and listen to him saying this again and again and again and again, his conviction is that this whole thing, his whole mission, his whole time that he was there, everything that's happened since he left, it was all about God. It was from God, it was for God, and it was to God, so that there is no reason to be so obsessed with your own personal self-defense or your own personal hoarding of your resources emotionally, your own time resources. There's no need to constantly build protective barriers, but you are able to be this sort of familial beckoning to the whole world because it is God who is at work. And what really compels me, what compels you, what compels us is that we are not preaching with our lives and with our lips our personal preference of philosophy. What Paul says is, we did not come to preach to you the words of men, but the very words of God. And we, I think, read that by nature and by instinct as people of this age, as a sort of silent addition, a silent note after, in our opinion. And we are not saying that. We are not putting Jesus on a platform with a variety of options saying, my personal preference is Jesus. Would you like him? What we are saying is, 
There is a real God who is behind and above all things. And this is the word that he would have me deliver to you. This is not what I have decided best fits the shape of my life. Because if I can just be perfectly honest, this messes with my life. I would prefer to not be this vulnerable, this sacrificial with my life. What works best for me in my life on a lot of fronts is doing whatever the heck that I want. But that is not the word that has come to me. It is not the word that has come to you. This is the word of the God. That in Jesus, you can be called into his kingdom. It says that God himself is beckoning you into his own kingdom. And so Paul is saying, behind and before and through this whole enterprise is the God himself of whom we speak. So it leaves us free and able to be as vulnerable as Paul describes. You really can be like a little child with open-handed and open-hearted trust that the good God will indeed protect you and give you all that you need and make the world right by his own hand. You can be like a nursing mother with the people that you love, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, your family, because God himself has mothered you by his spirit into the nurturing care of the gospel. You can be like a father with people because the father has himself come and not left you, but exhorted you and encouraged you and insisted that you grow up into the image of the son as he's called you to be. This whole task is God-shaped and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the one who will complete the work that he has begun. So I don't have to stand up here and leverage shame or guilt or manipulation of you into this task. I can invite you in the same words that Paul says God has invited the Thessalonians, that he is beckoning you into his own kingdom, into the work of his own kingdom. And if you are here today and you are saying, look, I believe in Jesus, I trust Jesus, I follow Jesus, I have not leveraged my life with this sort of costly sacrifice for the gospel in this way. That, that has not happened. Maybe ever. Today you have the opportunity, the good news to hear and remember how good the good news of the gospel is. And if you are sitting here saying, I, I am sort of weighted down here by all my failures, then you find yourself in the position that you have always been before God, that of profound need. And the Father loves his children. So if you're saying my life has fallen so far short of this model of following Jesus, you get to turn to Jesus now. And he is the best one that you can possibly turn to.
And if you are here today and you're saying, I have never, I've never seen or heard Jesus before. I've heard of him. I have added my suspicions about him and those who have followed him and borne his name. But I have never heard Jesus before. But today I do. Today you are being invited in to the family of God. Where this, the triune God, is beckoning you into his kingdom. The kingdom of his beloved son. And though his people have often fallen short of showing you the costliness of it, he has not spared himself the cost, but has offered for you his own life. That the crucified Son of God has split the way open for you. That you would be embedded in his family forever. Today is the day to respond. Jesus is this good. It is his work, front to back, beginning to end. He will accomplish what he promises you. He will defend you. He will protect you. And he will carry you until the very end, as he said that he would do. Wherever you are today, on the spectrum of relationship to Jesus, everyone hears the same invitation. Come close to Jesus today and find your life in him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's your word that this is the word of the Lord. We confess that uh, we, we think about these things like a menu. We pick and choose what we prefer. We pick and choose what's convenient for us. And God, I pray that we would, we would respond differently this morning, that we would not just respond based on personal preference, what seems good to us, but we will respond to the word of the Lord. Father, we have been greedy. We have been stingy with our own life. And we ask that you would help us to be free with it because we trust you to supply all that we need. We confess that we have been uh, maybe doing lots of the right things but for the wrong reason, that we have been shamed and guilted into the right behaviors for a long time and not followed you in the way of love. And God, we ask that you would free us from that weight and burden us instead with the good yoke of the love of Jesus. And Father, for those who are here today who are standing on the outside of the kingdom, who are finding themselves spiritually to be orphans, abandoned, and alone, God, I pray that your voice would speak clearly to them, would ring in their ears, and would call them in to your family. 
That they would see that, that any good father they've seen in their life pales in comparison to the fatherhood of God. Any good mother that they've seen in their life, that motherhood came from you. And you can make them safe like little children in your family. God, I pray that they would hear that, respond, welcome it, and be transformed. Jesus, we pray that you would transform our life and indeed the whole valley, not for our purposes, not for our glory, but for the glory of your name. The kingdom of Jesus would be the rule of the land. We ask that we would see it soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.